0: Welcome to the Kind of Vultures podcast. I'm your host, Peter Zalewski. This is Wednesday, so that means it is the Reporters' Roundtable. This is where we bring together current and former journalists, talk about some of the biggest headlines that have occurred within the last week, and we asked these journalists to go ahead and cut through the bullshit and let the um, listener know uh, what might be impacting the economy and or the real estate market. So we're going to get into six stories uh, that have been published by a variety of different uh, news uh, outlets. After that, I'm going to ask all the uh, journalists to go ahead and make a prediction about something that might be coming down the pike. And then finally, we'll wrap it up with a comment section. So if you, the listener, if you want to comment, you want to criticize, you want to complain, you want to compliment, you want to ask a question, you want to talk about uh, maybe one of your favorite people on the podcast – we want to hear from you. Please feel free to send an email to inquiry at condovultures.com. That's I-N-Q-U-I-R-Y at condovultures.com. Every Wednesday during our reporters' roundtable, we go ahead and we discuss all the comments that we receive from you. So who do we have on the podcast this week? Well, we have a gentleman who used to write about white collar crime as well as publicly traded companies based here in South Florida. He worked for the South Florida Business Journal, right now he's got his own public relations consulting firm. His name is John Feckler. Mr. Feckler, how are you doing?
1: Hey, what's going on, Peter?
0: Mr. Factor, what's going on?
1: Glad to be back aboard the um chilling
0: podcast that we have. Great, great. Great to have you. Um uh it's not the prediction segment yet, but if memory really serves sure me correctly, I think you predicted the Kansas City Chiefs would win the Super Bowl, unfortunately for you. So but we can discuss okay. that later. Who else do we have on the podcast? We have a gentleman who has been a journalist for uh, north of 25 years. Worked at a variety of different publications throughout the state of Florida, including a gig at the Tampa Tribune. Wrote about uh, finance, the economy, things like that, banking. Uh, right now, he has his own public relations marketing firm called Groose Communications. That is John Groose. What's up, John? Hey, go Bucks! <laughs> go Bucks! You were based in the Tampa area.
2: You said Tampa That's would right.
0: win, did you not? While Mr. Factor was predicting the Chiefs, who got trumps.
2: I think my prediction came true again. <laughs> there we go. And then finally, um, our rotating journalist uh,
0: this particular week is a gentleman who's an investigative reporter. He is a, a skull cracker, if you will, tends to run down the big stories. not afraid to ask the tough questions and write some uh, great prose. Who is that? The gentleman who works at the Daily Beast, while well, some of his work appears at the Daily Beast, uh, the D- real deal here in Miami, as well as other publications. That's Francisco Alvarado, been a journalist for north of 15 years. What's up, Francisco?
3: Hey, Peter. Glad to be back.
0: Hey, man, glad to have you. You know, it's interesting. We're talking about predictions. Uh, you made a prediction way back when saying that you didn't think we were going to have cruises running until maybe as late as 2022. I'll be damned if you're not right. Based on everything I'm reading, it looks like no one's getting on a cruise ship uh, anytime soon. So, uh, yeah, yeah, glad to have you and your insights.
3: Yeah, I'm glad to be here, guys. I'm glad. I'm glad. I'm very happy to be back.
0: So, 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 guys, we've we've been starting the podcast every week with uh, the latest COVID numbers, COVID numbers. So, let me go ahead and uh, let you know, or let the listener know, what's exactly going on. We're recording this the uh, the tenth of February, and the numbers come from the Florida Department of Health, the uh, COVID nineteen dashboard. Anybody who wants to check out the numbers, just simply type that into Google or whatever search engine you have. Uh, Florida Department of Health COVID-19 dashboard. We don't uh, necessarily uh, say these numbers are correct, but these are the official numbers that are being put out there. So um, what do we got going in the state of Florida? We're looking at just under 1.8 million confirmed cases, 1.8 million confirmed cases in South Florida, which is Miami-Dade, Broward, Palm Beach County. We're looking at just under 670,000, 670,000. When you get into Miami-Dade County, about 381,600. Broward County be 178,400, and Palm Beach County is coming in at about 110,000 confirmed cases proportionally or percentage wise. South Florida is going to represent about 37.5% of the cases. Miami Dade will be 21.3% of the cases. Broward will be 10% of the cases. And Palm Beach County is coming in at about 6.2% of the cases. Now, now, guys, I've been talking week after week about how our numbers proportionally are coming down. In some other part of the state of Florida is must be increasing because of the proportional uh, aspect of it. Turns out, I just heard on a radio report today on WLRN, which is our ntr affiliate, that I guess there's a tremendous outbreak going on up in the panhandle of Florida. Uh, and that maybe is why we're going down proportionally, even though, you know, we still got a lot of confirmed cases, but some somewhere, somewhere other part of the state is going up, and apparently it's going to be somewhere like that. And I want to talk to you two guys about what happened in Tampa after the Super Bowl, so uh, super spreader. So we can get into that. Um, now, on the death count, how many people have died in the state of Florida? Just uh, 28,048 confirmed deaths. Uh, related to COVID. Uh, in South Florida, we've had 9,527 9, cases with 5,058 in Miami-Dade, 2,192 in Broward, and 2,277 in Palm Beach County. Percentage-wise, 34% of all of the deaths have occurred in South Florida for the state of Florida, 18.1% in Dade, 7.9% in Broward, and 8.2% in Palm Beach County. Anybody want to make a comment about COVID numbers? What's going on? Um, uh, 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 just an update about uh, the pandemic in general for the listener.
3: Well, I mean, we're still in the thick of it, guys. It's you know, it's it's just not going to get any better, you know, uh, anytime soon. Uh, yeah. Especially with these new variants, you know, the the, the key, you know, that, that we have the most case of. Yep. Um It's just you know, and then you know, just people not. Taking it seriously. I mean, we just have to, you know, I mean, we don't have to, you know, look at those super spreader events in the, in the Super Bowl. I mean, you can go anywhere here in Miami and, and, and see super spreader events taking place, um, you know, in, in the restaurants, in the bars. Um, it's just, you know, it's just sad, really, that we can't, that people just can't, you know, show a little, uh, you know, responsibility and selflessness yeah yeah
0: yeah yeah so as we're recording this uh there's breaking news coming out breaking news uh uh the the biden administration, according to the Miami Herald, they're considering to imposing a domestic travel restrictions uh let whether to impose domestic travel restrictions, including on the state of Florida due to a number of variances uh variants that are coming out. Uh, and spreading throughout the state of Florida, including the United Kingdom, as well as South Africa and Brazil. So uh, all that is sort of breaking as we speak. And by the way, if anybody hears any background noise, uh, one of the advantages or disadvantages of when construction gets done, uh, uh, it tends to take longer than you would anticipate. And as a result of that, any noise you might be hearing, it has to do with plumbing that's occurring uh, in and around where I live. So sorry about that um, uh, upfront, but we all kind of know what it's like. John Factor, let's start off with you with story number one. This is going to come from out of CNN. The headline, John, is more than 1,000 COVID-19 vaccine doses were spoiled, Florida Health officials say. Um, John, did you have a chance to uh, look at that story? Uh, do you want me to read a couple graphs out of it, or do you want to comment, and then I'll read some graphs? What, uh, what works no, for you? I,
1: no, I read the story. So uh, Okay. Yeah, I mean, I I, uh, you know, I saw that. And it was um, a nice segue, by the way. Uh, from your leader, because, um, you know, one of the things you, you mentioned, the percentage of uh, cases in Palm Beach County, apparently this uh, oral dosages happen in Palm Beach County. And that number is eight percent. That number is going to probably double because what you got is you've got a bunch of dumbasses who are watching, watching over the refrigerated vaccines or I should say frozen vaccines. And um, human error is going to occur from time to time, and apparently that's what happened this time. Apparently somebody turned off the turned off the juice, and the, uh, it spoiled about a thousand uh, doses. Um, and and, and, and uh, John,
0: let me pause. Let me get you to pause right there. Let, let me tell you the official statement, and this comes from the Palm Beach County Healthcare District. Remember, Palm Beach County is part of the tri-county area uh it's the county to the north brower to be in the middle uh, or the center and then miami dade county be to the south palm beach county why do you recognize that that's where mar-a-lago president trump's uh, current residence possibly temporarily uh based on some voting issues that's where he's living right now so here's the official statement john a palm beach county uh health care district they say this incident was caused when the power supply for a refrigerator storing the vaccine on our mobile unit at an outreach site was unintentionally turned off, causing the temperature to rise, leading to effectively eleven hundred and sixty doses um being wasted.
3: Whoa.
1: Yeah. No, um, you know, and that's my my question is, I'm worried, has this happened before? Has you know, being suspicious as a journalist, um has this happened before? How many times has it happened before? Where has it happened? Um and will it happen in the future? What kind of safeguards will be put in in instill to so this doesn't happen in the future. You got people out there who are clamoring for this vaccine. Um it's already slow going. Florida's been extremely slow lately. Um most of the sites, um the public, the city sites, the state sites, um, which updates unless you know when a vaccine comes in. Usually there's a bum rush. I you haven't seen any of that. I'm I'm a subscriber, so I'm waiting for more information on dosages and nothing is coming through. Now you get this news and it just doesn't bode well. I think I really need to start uh, snapping the whip here.
0: So, so Francisco, let, let, let me go to you for uh, for mm-hmm. a follow up. So um, uh, initially, hospitals were offering the vaccine <laughs> and um, uh, then it was said that it would be there would be dr- uh, drugstores, pharmacies, pharmacists would be offering the mm-hmm. vaccine. Now you get now you need to go to Publix, Publix public supermarket outside of Miami-Dade and Broward mm-hmm. County in order to sort of get the vaccine. When it first started rolling out, you had older people, basically the, those at highest risk, they were camping out overnight on the west coast of Florida
2: because they wanted yeah. to
0: get a vaccine because it was first come, first serve. And now some of these older people who are basically 65 and older who qualify to get the vaccine, they're being told to go to Twitter and they're being told to uh, log in online uh and, and try to uh to try to get yourself an appointment. Can you kind of give a perspective as to what's really going on in the trenches in the state of Florida? Uh you know, what people know about the vaccine, how to get it and uh and maybe some suggestions of how it could improve so we don't lose another thousand uh vaccines, uh, you know, because somebody turns off the fridge?
3: Well I guess the biggest issue is, is that there's no centralized way of getting the vaccine. Um, you know, there's all these disparate places where you gotta, you know, where you can go get the vaccine. You mentioned Publix, you know, they have their own sign up. Miami-Dade County does their own sign up. Jackson Memorial Hospital does their own sign up, and it's all very like, you know, helter skelter. It's like, you know, um, all of a sudden you'll get a tweet from Jackson Memorial Hospital. Oh, sign up! You know, we're opening up a uh, 60, you know, or 100 slots in the next 15 minutes. And right. in, in three minutes, those are already filled up. Um, so it's kind of like, I mean, it really, I mean, like you know, seniors are either if they're not computer savvy, they're relying on their children or their grandchildren to um, to to get them an appointment. And in some cases, you have seniors, you know, they have, they're literally doing this. They they have like one or a laptop going, an iPad going, their phone going, somebody else's phone going, all trying to get that you know that one coveted slot um and that's basically how it is it's basically like you know you're you're playing like it's almost like playing bingo and you know right. once you once you you know once you hit the numbers you yell out bingo you know you're the first you have to be the first one to yell out bingo you know to to get vaccinated um and and it's just going to be like this i mean unfortunately because there's no there's no direction um you know from the state down to the local level as to how, you know you know how to do this in a real efficient uh manner um and then i mean you know then you have the the situation with desantis you know like and and the Biden administration already like you know um, bickering with each other um and that's not going to help matters it's just going to you know it's just going to make the situation worse when right now you know florida needs the federal government to do whatever it can to ramp up you know vaccines and this whole thing about like you know desantis telling the biden administration just concentrate on making vaccines we'll get it to the people Uh, that's not going to work i mean it's like you know keep doing what you're doing and then let the feds come in also and start handing you know giving out vaccines through the national guard or you know some some way or another because this is just like it's just again it's helter skelter exactly Can can i can
0: i
1: just
0: can i just add something here um, John, John, before you do, let me just add, let, let me just clarify for anybody's listening. So DeSantis is Ron DeSantis. He's a Republican governor for the state of Florida. He basically is uh, uh, um, uh, a big supporter of Donald Trump, and 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 basically let the locals do it rather than have the feds do it. So uh, go ahead, John. Sorry. Yeah, just just from a
1: personal standpoint, you know, when I heard that Walgreens was among the uh, pharmacies get uh, that'll be distributing the vaccine. I went in there to pre-register, you know, I figured I couldn't register, but at least I could pre-register. So I asked the pharmacist about it. And he looked at me like I was a homeless person. I mean, I, I, was like, <laughs> I mean, they're so disorganized. It's got to be centralized, yeah. like uh, Frank said.
3: Uh, yeah, just to yeah. add a point there, like, see, for example, Walgreens, like people don't know Walgreens, The they're only doing vaccines like for a certain group of people. It's not like Publix, where like they're doing all seniors. Um, Walgreens and CVS. Uh, I'm not like I don't know exactly sure how like how they've separated it out, but they're not you know they're not they're not open to the general public. It's a specific you know like they're dealing like they're supposed to be giving the vaccines. I think to like the long term care facilities and and um, uh, and uh, yeah. places like that. But you see, you don't know that because no one you know. You know, that's it's not coming from the governor's office or it's not coming from any other government agency that tells you, okay, like, look, here's where these group of people can go. Here's where this group of people can go. And, you know, in a month, we're going to have another system set up for another group of people to come in. And that's well, kind of well, like where we're at.
0: Francisco or anybody on the panel, um, does anybody know, okay, so Walgreens, um, CVS, which is another pharmacy down here in, in Florida, um, are they actually going to do it on site? So they're gonna be mixing regular people with those over sixty five to come in, um, kinda of like you're going to a bank and you know, you go to this section if you want to get a loan, you go to that section if you want to tell her, or they're gonna do it off site somewhere to kind of separate well, the people? Because I would imagine the over sixty five are probably pretty vulnerable and they don't necessarily wanna intermingle well, uh, you know, with the yes. younger types.
3: Well, at public they do go to the stores. They have to go to the stores. Wow. At so Publix, they're like in the produce section. Well, no. I mean, mean, they go to the they go to the pharmacy section of Publix, and they um, and I was actually um, if you go to a Publix that has a pharmacy, there's they have an employee that um, that checks in the the people coming in to get the vaccine, and you know, and they just you know, it's basically basically how you go to Walgreens. You know, when you're waiting, you know, to get your scripts, it's kind of like the same same deal. Wow, wow. Okay. Well,
0: I'm. I won't comment on that, but what I will tell you before we get to our next story, um, uh, John, coming out of that story that I just read, just to set the scene for for the listener, across the United States, nearly 34 million COVID vaccine, 19 vaccine doses have been administered with more than 27 million people, or about 8% of the population, having received uh, at least one dose. About 6.4 million people have received both doses. Now, why is that critical? Well, until we get to about 70 to 85% of the U.S. population, which is somewhere in the ballpark of 330 million, or 330 million people, uh, we're not going to reach that level of uh, normalcy in terms of the herd immunity, according to Dr. Anthony Fauci. So just to give you guys an idea, we're 8% in. Uh, we need to get to 70%. So we got, we got some, it's going to be some tough uh, uh, sledding up ahead, uh, as they say, up north. So uh, story number two, let's go to Jean. Jean, um, um, this story is sort of hits me uh, close to my heart because I love this event. But I think it's, a, it's sort of a, a, an indicator of what's coming on the fight. comes out of the Miami Herald. Headline, COVID cancels Caiocho and Carnival on the mile. Public health is the priority. And let me just give you the first couple graphs. Uh, We look forward to dancing in the streets together again in 2022. So says uh, Jorge Fernandez, president of the Kiwanis Club of Little Havana, about two of Miami's signature events. But wait, 2022, what happened in 2021? Sadly, the dreaded COVID-19 pandemic continues. For the second year, Caiochos canceled. The Kiwanis Club of Little Havana said Tuesday. This year, so it's uh, so it was a related carnival on the mile that's held in the Coral Gables, according to Ana Maria Reyes, carnival, uh, Kiwanis and Carnival's uh, creative and promotional director. Um, Jean, what say you? This is supposedly the largest one day festival. In terms of tracking a million or so people celebrating Latin and Caribbean culture, it takes place in Miami. It's on 8th Street from I-90 – well, it used to be from I-95 all the way west to 27th Avenue. Two years in a row they canceled this. What, what's the use, John?
2: Yeah, well, my, my, my first thought when I, when when the story appeared was like, wow, hell has frozen <laughs> over. I mean, um, right? you know, it's – I mean, it's the right call, obviously, but, you know – is an institution this is an institution I mean I uh you know everybody knows everybody in Florida knows about this festival uh people outside of Miami know about this festival this is le- it's a legendary you know and um in the heart of you know part of Little Havana so uh, yeah it's um I mean it's the right call it's a no-brainer but still it's um it's it's uh pretty shocking Definitely shocking. Oh. And, and
0: uh, Mr. Packer, I want to get some update, uh, some insight from you because you've been a couple times and you live in and around that neighborhood. Let, let me just read you another graph from the story. It says Cayocho, which had its uh, first street carnival in 1978, the when Saturday night fever sent feet dancing on South Florida radio. It attracts hundreds of thousands of people each year to the heart of Little Havana. Officials close the stretch of Southwest A Street for music performances, food vendors, and other activities. John, you've been known to go out there, uh, uh, you know, kick back a couple cocktails, uh, maybe have some coco frio, you know, the coconuts, throw the the empty coconut on the side where they pile up. The garbage cans are filled with everybody eating and and the leftovers, and just it's a complete, um, uh, I don't know how you would describe it, other than it's just a ton of fun and it's complete chaos, but somehow it all works out. So, John, what's the loss of Carnival and the Cayocho to you?
1: Well, it's huge. Obviously, um, I do really enjoy
0: it. I look forward to it every year to
1: find a couple of latinas to dance with. Um, but I, you know, I actually think it's it's responsible, much like what John said. I'm a little stunned because uh, it's such a big event for this area, and um, you know, so yeah, you know, I'm kind of stunned because a lot of places, you know, in different states would have would have would probably not canceled. Look what happened in South Dakota where they had the big bikers rally. Um, then it turns out it was a super spreader event. Maybe they learned a lesson from what happened elsewhere in other states. But I'm actually, um, even though I'll miss it, I'm actually kind of proud of them that they, they um, did something responsible
0: here in Miami. Wow. Hey, wow. guys. Francisco, I'm going to put you in story number
3: three. Yeah, but, I mean, you are aware that it was canceled last year too, right?
0: Yes, correct,
3: correct. Second Okay. Year all right. That's
0: all right. That's
3: yeah, right. yeah. All right. All right. All right. Yeah, we can move on. Yeah. I mean, we can move on. I mean, like you know, I mean, everybody's, you know, pretty much said what I what I would say too.
0: Yeah, Francisco, you you you're raised here in Miami. Any any interesting moments? Any anything that sort of like. Like, like in my mind, I always think of, um, uh, I think of a uh, empty coconuts I, that are piled up remember. everywhere in the trash. Hey, anything that sticks in your mind about Kayocho other than it being the a gang, on it and the great music?
3: The gang fights that used to go down there. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what, what, what years, um, was that recently? No, 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 that
3: was back in the day, like in the, you know, late late 80s, 90s you know, um during that moment, during that moment in history of Miami when there was um when there were you know street gangs like the Latin Kings, the Latin disciples, uh nice. South Beach posse. But um, you, those yeah, 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 yeah. those are those are long those are long gone.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and some of the artists who've who've actually appeared there, I mean, from the Latin American or, or the Spanish um uh music scene, I mean some big names have been there, including I saw Celia Cruz there a couple times the former Cuban uh, salsa singer. Yes. So, okay, story number three. um, We keep hearing about super spreader events, super spreader events. Well, Francisco, I'm going to go to you on story number three. Why? Because you actually wrote the story, and I wonder in in talking about the development going on in the Tampa area, you can also tap into the super spreader event thing. So uh, I gave some foreshadowing. Let me tell you what the story says. Headline, again, coming out of the real deal, Francisco wrote it. Development boom in Super Bowl City, Tampa reaches for its real estate moment. The subhead Big Guava's other big game includes a $3 billion waterfront project and a hot resi market that are drawing a crowd. Uh, first couple graphs, the headliners in Tampa this weekend are no doubt Patrick Mahomes of the Chiefs and Tom Brady of the Buccaneers, but the two-star quarterbacks aren't the only game in town, while Jeff Vinnick, Bill Gates, and Ian Schrager will definitely not be putting, uh, suiting up on Sunday for the Super Bowl. The trio of key players on a $3.5 billion dollar mixed use project that <laughs> to transform the host city's downtown waterfront. Francisco, what can you tell us about the overall piece and uh, the vibe you were getting as you spoke to people to report out this story, which people could see in the real deal?
3: Um, the whole vibe was just kind of like, you know, um, to, to, I guess um, just kind of like break down this big project uh, uh, being financed by Jeff Vinnick and Bill Gates through their, mm-hmm. um, through their through strategic property partners which is um it's basically a company that they both formed and it's you know doing this big development Ian Trager is involved because he's doing the Edition Tampa as part of the project oh, wow okay and um and um it's going to be like it's billed as the first five star luxury hotel in Tampa uh, they wow. uh they also they also included 37 residents for sale uh okay which um and they've so i mean they've uh, they're under contract with over over 70 million in, in contracts uh, involving those units um wow. and it's uh and but the pro- i mean but um, it doesn't mean that's probably the only condo component to the project uh, there's mm-hmm. three other residential buildings and there're going to be apartment buildings uh there's also an office complex called Sparkman Wharf and um it's basically like it's like the biggest project in Tampa right now, but there's also um, some other projects, uh, mixed-use projects already built or in the pipeline. Uh, I mentioned um, BH part, BHI Partners from Fort Lauderdale. They are doing a condo project uh, on the waterfront as well in this um, in this uh, 50, about a 50-acre development where there are the other projects by the related group and um, townhomes by wci communities and at the same time that this is that these big projects are, are being built the uh the resi market the for single family homes in tampa is off is you know is, is off the charts how it is down here in south florida and you have the same situation playing out in tampa that you see here in south florida where uh people from other states uh specifically in the northeast and california are relocating to florida uh, Tampa is appealing to people that, you know, want a little you know, a little more of a of a slow you know, a slower pace than than Miami and um and Fort Lauderdale but still want, you know, you know, urban waterfront. Uh, so that's what that, that was the gist of that story. And then it kinda of like I mean like I didn't send you a link, but I mean the, the following day I ended up doing a, a Super Bowl super spreader story for the Daily Beast about how basically <laughs> Oh uh, basically the you know, the entire town was just you know was just preparing for a big party and it was like and uh, and COVID was, you know COVID was like the, the furthest thing on their mind. Um and um, yeah, so uh, so that's um so that's where um so that's the nice way to if you want to ask me anything about like what these you know what these other folks told me about what they thought about COVID, I can give you I interviewed um I interviewed a strip club owner. Uh, what's his name? Let me see here. His name is Strip um...
0: Club over in Tampa. Joe
3: Redner, right? Joe Redner. Yeah. Uh, no, I didn't get to get to. I didn't get to talk to Joe. To Joe. Uh, oh. I interviewed um, the guy from the the guy from the Dollhouse. Um, oh, okay. uh, Warren Colazo. Warren Colazo, and he was like, um... and Warren, he got COVID uh, early on in the pandemic, and knows what it's like to you know to be sick with COVID. But he's like pro business, and he's, you know, he's like, you know, like you know, we should be open. We should, you know, as long as you know we're following, you know, the proper precautions, you know, we should allow to be allowed to, you know, operate our business. And um, and he was basically telling me that, um, you know, that people were so happy that the Tampa Bucks were in town playing the Super Bowl that they forgot about COVID. And as evidence from these videos that we saw after the game. Uh, he, he, he was right. He was right.
0: Absolutely amazing videos. Anybody who hasn't seen it, um, seen those videos, just, just do a search on Tampa um, uh, Super Bowl win uh, uh, crowd celebration. You'll see it. John, you, you lived in Tampa quite some time. You wrote about finance. You wrote about banking. You wrote about all kinds of issues in Tampa. Before I ask you for your comments, let me just um, let me throw out one tidbit from Francisco's piece. That I think sort of uh, encapsulates it all. So he he refers to this uh, or uh, this information is coming from a broker who's quoted in Francisco's story. It says low inventory and a growing population is driving demand and prices across Tampa and Saint Petersburg, where the average home sale price of four hundred and thirty-six thousand five hundred dollars in the final quarter of two thousand twenty was up twenty-nine percent year over year. Wow. Uh, What's the you, Jean?
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, Tampa benefits from the fact that, um, you know, there's still there's still land available for development. So, I mean, you can go out to Pasco County, you can go out to Polk County and all the surrounding counties around Tampa and there's still land. You know, it's it's expanding and expanding. Every time I drive up there, you know, I drive up to my uh, old neighborhoods. I mean, they've just uh, everything's just grown so much and um you know that big uh, downtown uh, waterfront project is just massive in its scale i remember when it used to be a warehouse district and there was you know industrial port related businesses and that area has been you know totally transformed into this uh, fancy residential area the o- the only thing i would caution is that you know the the sort of the demand for urban Uh, condo living may have been tempered a little bit by COVID and um, certainly there's a big you know office component and you know (laughs) like who knows with this COVID you know how long how long that's going to last and and whether whether the demand is going to slow for that but you know there's no doubt that you know campus real estate market is on fire like it is you know all throughout Florida really yeah 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 great
0: great point um Guys, let's go ahead and we'll take our first commercial break. On the other side of the break, we're going to get into three additional stories, including are we in a housing bubble? Uh, We're also going to talk about landlords. We always talk about renters, although they don't have to pay the rent because of a uh, moratorium. Now we're going to talk about landlords. And then finally, we're going to talk about one of those stars from the Super Bowl and his digs and his place in Miami and whether or not the New York press is actually – are they telling you the truth about it or are they sort of indulging a little bit, whether intentionally or unintentionally? So, stay tuned. We'll catch up with you sure. on the other side of the break. This is Peter Zaluski, of the Condo Vultures Podcast. Back in 1995, I got my real estate license, but I didn't practice for a number of years simply because I was writing about real estate as a journalist. 2006, I broke out and I launched a company called Condo Vultures. The idea was to try to use information. Uh, data, and know-how to try to get the best deals on behalf of buyers. So if you are a buyer and you're looking for a deal, you're looking to try to understand the condo market in the Tri-County, South Florida area, myself or my team are here to help you. To get a hold of us, please call us at 305-865-5859, 305-865-5859, or visit our website, condovulturesrealty.com. If you're enjoying the Condo Vultures podcast and you want more information, but this information in the written word as well as charts, why not sign up for the South Florida Distress Market Intelligence Report? To do so, go to condovulturesrealty.com. Slightly below the main banner and logo, you will see a sign up box. It's called the South Florida Distress Market Intelligence Report sign up. Simply enter your email address, hit subscribe, and lo and behold, every week you'll be sent a newsletter giving you the latest updates on what's going on in the distress market in South Florida. Welcome back to the Reporters Roundtable. I'm Peter Zalewski, I'm the host. I have Francisco Alvarado. He's an investigative reporter, been doing it north of 15 years. He is our rotating journalist today uh, for this podcast. I also have Jean Groose. He was a uh, financial reporter for north of 25 years. And um, right now he has his own public relations marketing firm called Cruise Communications. And we also have John Fackler works over at the South Florida Business Journal where he wrote about white-collar crime as well as public trading companies based in South Florida. He also does public relations and marketing right now. So, John, let's go with, uh, to you for story number four. This piece is coming out of USA Today. Headline, Are We Trapped in Another Housing Bubble? A rapid rise in home, sale. home prices has some experts worried. Here's the subhead. Home prices are rising coast to coast and are, are, are outstripping wages and rents. Some say it's an out of housing bubble, but it's nothing like the mid-2000s. Um, and let me read the first couple graphs, Sean. In the midst of a raging COVID-19 pandemic with millions of Americans still out of work and facing the possibility of eviction and foreclosure, the United States is experiencing a real estate boom, the likes of which it hasn't seen in at least 15 years. Home prices are rising practically everywhere, from Augusta, Maine to Phoenix, from Sarasota, Florida to Aberdeen,
2: Washington. Prices are up by double digits. John, what say you? Yeah, I mean, look, <laughs> there was a report out today from the Mortgage Bankers Association. It said that um that the average home mortgage today is four hundred and two thousand dollars. I mean Wow That's That's the highest mortgage that's the hot. Yes, mortgage. That's the highest in 30 years Uh, that and that is the average. So you're taking on 400 grand of debt. I mean, on average, I mean, that that is just um, I mean, that's bubblicious. (laughs) You know, that's, that's 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 what free money does. You know, when the Federal Reserve lowers interest rates, this is what happens and um n- not only that but the market has been completely distorted by the fact that fewer people are going to list their homes because they don't want people traipsing around with covid and you know there's there's the fear of covid people moving out of downtowns into the suburbs um i mean there's all kinds of market distortions going on and you know it's yeah it's not the bubble of speculation of of the 2005-2006 era but there's still many many ingredients that go into this and when we're going to look back on this we're going to say wow this is this we we kind of went crazy there <laughs> i mean i could be wrong but but it all points to bubble
3: <laughs>
0: in all points of bubble and and francisco you're reporting out stories um uh with different sources all you know related to real estate things like that let me just throw out a statistic before i ask you sort of uh, what your opinion is about this possibility of a bubble and what your sources are telling you but according to the story looks like the state of florida uh overall on average the prices appreciated 7.1 percent to 264,149 dollars per unit is what they're claiming at least in this um this article so but a seven percent increase uh year over year overall that includes great neighborhoods as well as shitty ones so what what say you francisco is a bubble real or uh you know just just a bunch of uh, chicken littles like myself saying that you know the end Uh is there
3: it's a real bubble the question is is like i mean i don't think it's going to be like i don't think it's going to be a pop (laughs) like how it was you know back in 2007 2008 I think it's going to be like a slow leak, you know, when things start, you know, getting back to normal, um, interest rates start going back up, um, prices start, you know, going tumbling down. Um, It's really going to depend on all these people that have decided to buy now at these astronomical prices, As long, you know, like how long they're going to hold on to those, you know, to these properties. I mean, are they, are they, are these, you know, like, you know, like the big thing right now in Miami is all these tech bros, You know, want to come to Miami, Coming to Miami (laughs) and um, and they're going to buy up all these properties. But like, you know, so, but are they really buying because they're buying into, are they buying into Miami or are they buying into the hype and the PR machine? And, you know, what's going to happen, you know, a year from now when things are back to normal and Miami's not so hot anymore? Uh, I mean, I think that's, I think that's what it is. I mean, it's, it really, I mean, it is a bubble, but I mean, I just don't think it's going to be like a I don't think we're going to see like you know like a like a precipitous you know uh, drop, but it's going to be a gradual thing. And and um, and at the end of the day, the ones that I mean, at the end of the day, right now, what's really happening, what what's really hurting, is just you know, even though they're even though first time buyers are able to buy now because of the low interest rates, um, I think like you know they're like you know they're you know they're they're you know they're being you know they're they're like how you said I mean four hundred you I mean four hundred thousand dollars. I mean who who wants to get into that kind of debt you know um uh, but you know that's all that you know they're gonna have to do it if they want to own a home. Right?
0: And and, and the, let, let me give let me give some perspective. I'm now, I'm not a mortgage broker, nothing like that, but this is just like a rule of thumb that I use um uh granted interest rates are virtually nothing from the Federal Reserve to the banks and the lenders and then you know people have to put a spread on it, stuff like that. But Basically, the way I look at it is, if you have a five percent interest rate and you're spending and you're, you're financing about hundred grand, you're looking at about I don't know five hundred dollars a month for every hundred grand ballpark. Ballpark, you know, just to give you a rule of thumb. So, if you're talking four hundred thousand dollar average mortgage, you're looking at two G's ballpark mm-hmm. <laughs> per month just on debt. That has nothing to do with property taxes, maintenance, anything else. So you can right. see why that, that that's going to be a hell of a burden,
2: at least from my perspective. John,
0: Francisco, John, you guys want to you want to push back on anything? Well, else? well, well I wanted to add, numbers. I wanted to
2: add, I wanted to add something in was is that what, what's going to happen when all those home loans come out of forbearance? You know, I mean, are, mm-hmm. are are a bunch of properties going to come on the market? Is that going to depress prices? Is that going to like, you know, I mean. There's there's a lot of homeowners out there that are still in forbearance that can't keep up with their mortgages. What's going to happen then? Are they all going to dump their properties? I mean, it's going to be uh, going to be an interesting. The market's totally distorted.
0: Yes. Well, well, and and, and to add a little side note to that. Um, uh, President Biden, his program to try to basically take us uh, us being the United States through to about October 1st or so, uh, that's where they want to push the moratorium on the uh, evictions as well as the foreclosures. Uh, Push everything basically until October and kind of deal with it uh, 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 then. So let's go ahead and we'll move on to story number five. Francisco, I'll lead off with you. This is coming out of New York Newsday, New York Newsday, um, which I think is, isn't that based out of Long Island, John? John Long Long Island.
1: Yeah, my my
0: my hometown newspaper. Okay, that's what I thought. So, Francisco, let me read you the headline of the first couple graphs. Unpaid landlords say they can't pay their bills or get new tenants. So here's the first couple graphs. A moratorium on evictions is forcing small landlords on Long Island to run up credit card balances, take out loans, and default on their own bills. Sheriffs on the island haven't carried out a residential eviction since March when the state began curtailing court activity in the early days of COVID-19 with a virus straining Uh, Many industries, thousands of Long Islanders have lost their jobs and are struggling with basic expenses like rent. The government passed policies and bolstered benefits designed to protect renters. Only a fraction of that relief has reached landlords and some property owners are reeling. Francisco, uh, before you respond, let me just point out to people last week on our podcast, there was a story that came out of the Herald that said 50,000 evictions had been filed in the state of Florida from March and through uh, December 31st. Uh, but yet they can't be uh, processed simply because of the moratorium. So, so what say you Francisco, are the landlords getting the bad uh, side of this deal?
3: Uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> when you look at it, I mean, there's like, there's no, I mean, like there's no, there's no, there doesn't seem to be any relief for them. Um, it's kind of like, I mean, like it's, it seems like they're you know, like they're stuck in the, in the purgatory, uh, of, you know, of, um, you know, having to deal with a tenant that obviously can't pay and, you know, and you you can't enforce the, you can't enforce the, the, you know, the, you know, the mechanism to to get them, you know, to remove them and try to find another tenant. And then on top of that, even if you did try to find another tenant, uh, you probably can't, you know, it's going to be even harder because people, you know, don't have jobs and they're not even, you know, I mean, they're probably not even looking to move or find a new place. Um I believe I mean like I, I'm not sure I mean is there anything in the Biden administration is doing to, to assist landlords um I know that I know that in in Miami-Dade there was supposed to be some sort of program uh but again I mean like w- it just doesn't seem like there's there's any like avenue for a commercial landlord who who owns a residential property to find some relief um whether it be like some sort of government assistance yeah,
0: well, we're, we're, guys, let me um, let, let me throw out a number just to help the listener kind of understand. Would, would you guys say it's fair to say that somebody living in Miami is probably looking rent wise? If you're renting, probably a thousand dollars a guy. So if two people get together, two thousand dollars. Is, is is that fair for a rent? Thousand yeah. dollars, eight hundred bucks a person to rent to live in Miami. Would that would that be fair? It depends if it's in an apartment or versus at home. Getting a no, no, but I'm just saying in general. If somebody's renting, mm-hmm. because I, I would just want to make a point. So, it, is $800 is that reasonable? So, if you're gonna rent a place, chances no. you know, uh, are on every like person.
3: Months, no, yeah, I'd one, say one like person. twelve. I I would say twelve hundred, fifteen hundred.
0: Yeah, twelve hundred, yeah okay okay so let's let's call 1200 let's say if you want to live in miami you're gonna run a place that's gonna cost you 1200 dollars. if you got a roommate whatever 1200 bucks so just to run the numbers and march is basically when this pandemic hit so we're you know we're, we're 10 months into this so if you're at 1200 dollars a month on your place that you haven't paid the rent simply because the moratorium that went in that was put in place and we're 10 months in you're talking about 12 grand 12 grand now if we take it out till the end of september we're effectively going to add what is that? Another eight months on top of this, seven months on top of this. So you could see landlords being down about twenty grand per per place. Besides upkeep, besides property tax, besides everything else. Wow, this does not sound like a uh, fun scenario. John, uh, well, you, you got any thoughts on it? Yeah, sorry, yeah. It's even, it's even
1: um, uh, more worrisome for Long Island. You have to understand. What Long Island is. There aren't really very few apartments. What there are are homes. So, what you have is a lot of people um, who are landlords who own a few homes and they're renting out rooms in these homes. And these the rentals go to the frontline workers, people who can't afford regular apartments. You know, the people we're talking about that are struggling in hospitality and elsewhere. So, what's happening is they can't afford it because they have lost their jobs. And then you answer to the fact that Long Island is much more expensive. I don't know if you saw some of the numbers in that story, but you're talking about three thousand, four thousand dollars to rent a house. I mean, you know, the numbers are really um, staggering. So, like you said, if you add that, you know, month to month to month, you're talking about people. You know, these landlords are, are in arrears for fifteen grand, twenty grand, and how are they supposed to? You know, even with, you know, some they're scrambling. They're taking out money on their credit cards. I mean, they do whatever they got to do to pay their bills. And and there's also an issue where they're having a hard time getting new. (laughs) Even though they're getting jammed up by their renters, they're having an issue where they can't find any renters because the people have lost their jobs. So they're they're moving in with their their grandparents or their parents, so they can't afford an apartment to begin with. So they are really screwed. I think it's a different demographic than Miami. Because here, you know, you do have homes and people renting it, but here it's more apartments, and it's whether the mid-range apartments you know, are going to get jammed up? Perhaps the high end won't. But some of the apartments, you know, the landlords here will get jammed up. But not as bad as New no. York.
0: Yeah. Guys, just to throw out there, and I don't know if somebody wants to comment on this, but, you know, we always talk about the hustle. Last cycle I talked about how uh, a buddy of mine was uh, he was renting a place from a guy, from people getting foreclosed. He would pay half the rent. Uh, and In return he'd rent out one of his two rooms that he had. So basically he basically was living for free. And then he'd get a $3,000 uh, cash for keys kicker the pack of shit and and sort of leave what i'm wondering is if you get this moratorium in place and there's all this talk about people from california and new york and elsewhere coming down here what's to stop these transplants from pulling a miami hustle moving into a place paying the first month and then basically skating on the rest of the rent if there's a moratorium until October first
2: anybody yeah you can uh, squat uh, Uh, you can squat (laughs) you can squat Come on, man! Like, I mean, why would you want to be a landlord? I mean, in the, under those conditions. Uh, I mean, another market distortion. I mean, this is, yeah, another example of it. <laughs> you know,
0: there's going to be stories written and movies made about this, about some of the hustles that have, that have been going on. So, speaking about a hustle, let's go to story number six. John, I want to go to you on this one. Um, coming out of the New York Post. Uh, headline, Inside Rob Gronkowski's Insane $2.4 Million Miami Apartments. Uh, and according to the article, Mr. Gronkowski, who's a tight end for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, just won the Super Bowl title. Previously, he played for the New England Patriots with his counterpart, Tom Brady, who left the New England Patriots after winning six Super Bowls and came down to Tampa to play as well. Apparently, John, Mr. Gronkowski went ahead and he paid $1.7 million for a condo. On Deschaine Boulevard, that was originally listed for two point five million dollars. What do you make of that?
1: Yeah, well, this um, this sort
0: of correlates to what we've been discussing
1: here on the show, is that we're seeing a lot of um, celebrity types uh, getting discounts, uh, or at least selling for discount or buying for discounts. Just makes me wonder, you know, about the pressure on uh, pricing for the high end condos. I technically, this is a high end, but in the twenty million car- uh, category. But uh, he bought this in 2019, so that was pre-COVID. So that lets me wonder: what is there a pressure on pricing in downtown Miami condos uh, even before COVID hit? Once COVID hit, obviously there's a pressure um, on the uh, real estate market. So um, uh, yeah, just just another another celebrity discount, as far as I could see.
0: John, John, I want I want to ask you, and this is um, I'm more worried about the information that's being put out. So New York Post. They went ahead and they they are talking about how this property, which is located effectively at 11th Biscayne on mainland on the mainland, um, right next to a massive construction site, which will be the moving in the in the and the expansion uh, of the MacArthur Causeway. Um, they're saying located in South Beach, it gives you full 180 degree panoramic views. Um, this thing is nowhere near South Beach. You can see South Beach, and then as part of the photos that they ran with this particular property. These are photos from 10 years ago, the park across the street, Maurice Fray Park, where we have two museums. It's under construction. The old Miami Herald site, the building, the office tower, that's still standing in these photos. John, my question to you is, um, how much responsibility does the, does the out-of-town press have, when they're going to go ahead and they're going to blow smoke up everybody's ass about how great the deals are and all this uh, you know, build-up the momentum when in reality, what they're putting out is uh, much the same shit that a lot of real estate brokers put out. where they talk <laughs> shit and they talk out of their they talk out of their ass, and it has nothing to do with reality. So, what's a you, joke?
2: Come on, man. This is the New York Post. It's a tabloid, you know. So, <laughs> w- what do you expect? It's, it's it's clickbait. It's clickbait. It's Gronkowski, the Super Bowl. It's meant to get clicks. It's it's you know, it's a non-story. I mean. A little rinky-dink condo. I mean, a couple million bucks. You know, the the real condos, you know, are like in the twenty thirty million dollar range. I mean, that that that's the good stuff. But you know, come on, like all it is is just um, getting eyeballs and clicks. And I mean, it's the New York Post. It's a tabloid. I I think I think people understand that. It's also two thousand and
1: nineteen. Yeah. How is that news? It's not new. 2019, this deal was. Or am I wrong, yeah. Peter?
2: No,
0: no, you're right. You're right. You're right. Um, yeah, I guess, they, I guess. I guess. Yeah, you, know, you two are right there. Just, it's just clickbait. But you know that. But this is the part about the real estate market that that infuriates me, and it should infuriate the investor. Because if you're reading this stuff and you think the market is going one way because of very successful and um, manipulative public relation people. And then uh, all due respect guys even in do public relations or women in do public relations. But 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 so so the audience, the listener, the, the investor, they have this perception. And then you turn around and you kinda of drill down to what's really going on. And a lot of times it can be completely different. So I don't know. Uh, well if you I'll, if I'll
2: you rely so if you rely if you rely on the New York Post for your investment decisions, you deserve to lose <laughs> money. Sorry. <laughs> all right. Fair enough. Uh, guys, let's go ahead.
3: We'll,
0: we'll take a commercial break. and the other side of the break, I'm going to ask the journalist to go ahead and make a prediction about what's coming on the bike. This is Peter Zuliski of the Condo Vultures podcast. I hope you're enjoying the podcast. And I wanted to alert you that if you have a property that you're looking to sell in the Tri-County, South Florida area, I would encourage you to reach out to Jenny Cortez, a licensed real estate broker with CVR Realty.com. She's my partner. She's been in the business for uh, north of 15 years More importantly, she knows the market, she knows how to get a deal done, and she also realizes that it's more important to get a price that you can accept and sell the property rather than to hold firm on some price that's never going to be achieved and ultimately languish on the market. So if you're looking to do a deal that you want a skilled expert who can help you sell a property, reach out to Jenny Hortes at 305-865-5859, 305-865-5859, or visit her website, CVR Realty. Com. If you're listening to this podcast, think about who else it is. If you want to reach that crowd, which tends to be investors, buyers, developers, lenders, why not advertise on the Condo Vultures podcast? To do so, give us a call at the office, 305-865-5859, 305-865-5859, or send an email to inquiry at condovultures.com. I-N-Q-U-I-R-Y at condovultures.com. Welcome back to the Reporters Roundtable. I'm your host, Peter Zalusti. We have Francisco Alvarado. He's an investigative reporter and breaks a lot of big news. He, um, his work appears in publications, including... The real deal, as well as the Daily Beast. We have Jean gruce who has his own population marketing firm called gruce Communication. He was a journalist for north of 25 years. And then we have John Fackler, who does public relations and consulting. He used to write about white collar crime, as well as publicly traded companies based here in South Florida. Um, this is our prediction segment. This is where I ask all of the journalists go ahead and, based on everything they know about South Florida and the economy and real estate, go ahead and make a prediction and give you, the listener, some idea of what might be coming down the pike. So, Why don't we start off with Mr. Fackler. John, um, am I right, or did you not predict the Kansas City Chiefs uh, would win the Super Bowl? And, unfortunately, they did not. Was was I right about that? And then after responding to that, can you go ahead and make your prediction?
1: Well, you're completely wrong. I never did make a
0: prediction (laughs) So, I like that
1: you're putting that that spin out there. You're a very good spin. Pull out the tape. We will pull out the tape. (laughs) All right. If you can find the tape, I will cop to it. (laughs) <laughs> okay. Um, One thing, okay, John, you know, what is your prediction? Okay, my previous life as a reporter, I was known by, by the uh, editor um, as The Undertaker, and that's because <laughs> I always did ne- a lot of negative stories. I guess I'm just a negative guy. <laughs> Look, but this prediction is negative. Um, I am going to go out on a limb here, and okay. I really hope this, hope this doesn't happen, but I predict that... <laughs> with the big push going on right now with Biden trying to get along with the Republicans and this business about the $15 uh, minimum wage, they're trying to cut that out of the uh, the new uh, stimulus package. I predict that he's going to get jammed up uh, probably because of his own devices, but also because of the Republicans fighting back, even though he's predicted he's setting it up uh, that he's going to push it through with just Democrats. The new stimulus plan will not come online in time to um, be consecutive with the first CARES package, in other words, those people who were expecting uh, some sort of a consecutive stimulus package to coincide with the first package, and were, we're, we're uh, depending on the moratorium, are going to get screwed. I think for a couple of months there's going to be a lag time between the two stimulus packages, and because of that, we're going to see a bunch of people get kicked out of the homes here
0: in Miami. Interesting, interesting. Well, Well, that could be good news for landlords, but not for the pandemic. Exactly. Okay. I I hope I will. Okay. Now, John, what's uh, at you?
2: Well, I think think this is the year where we need to watch this carefully, but I think this is the year that we may get full legalization of marijuana. And uh, the reason I say that is because um, the state is going to face a shortfall in tax revenues, and they're going to be looking at all kinds of ways to raise tax revenues, and there's a real um, there's a real estate implication here. Um, I, I was just looking up some of the numbers. Um, so okay. far, uh, since since hemp was approved uh, for cultivation in Florida in 2019, um, 729 farmers in Florida have been approved to grow it, and um, for a total of 23,000 acres. And the interesting thing is that um, the state's hemp industry um, already has seven thousand retailers, two hundred and eighty manufacturers, two hundred warehouses, thirty-eight distributors, and fifteen processors. And it seems to me, yeah, um, yeah I know this is this is already right now. And um, the agriculture uh, commissioner of Florida, Nikki Fried, a Democrat says the industry has a potential to eventually become a twenty to thirty billion dollar industry, and right now the state of Florida is going to be facing a a shortfall in its tax revenues and i I think that um you know legalization of marijuana of course is taking place all over the country, and everybody's looking at these estates um generating a ton of tax revenues from from this crop, and all these real estate folks are are, are eager to fill the, the retail shops and warehouses and 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 facilities to manufacture and distribute this product. And I th- I think there's a very good chance that it's going to happen this year.
0: That's interesting. You know, um, uh, John, it sort of reminds me, uh, during the Great Recession, there was a lot of talk in the state of Florida about legalizing gambling because of revenue um, that had been lost and possibly could be generated from gambling. So uh, very interesting point. Francisco, um, you made some very interesting uh, predictions in previous podcasts. I talked about the cruise ships not coming back till I think you said, 2022 or the end of 2021, which looks like it's probably going to be dead on. You also predicted that interest rates were going to have to go up, which uh, also is starting to look very fortuitous. What uh, what do you say now? What what do you see coming on the pipe? Oh, man. <clears throat> oh,
3: well, I'm going to say that – how about this? Uh, I'm going to go real, uh, out on a limb here and say that um, – Three quarters of Florida will be vaccinated by um, by the fall.
0: Wow! So you're talking what? We got 21 million people, 22 million people. Let's call it 22. I'm going to do some uh, quick math. You're saying 75 percent. You're talking 16.5 million people are going to get uh, jabbed, like the Brits say, get the jab. Interesting, huh?
3: By the fall of okay. 2021.
0: By the the fall of 2021? Okay, interesting. Um, uh, My prediction, what do I predict? Well, I was looking at a story that was just posted today, and what is that story? It has to do with jury trials. As of March 1st, Miami-Dade County is opening back up the courtrooms. So all of the Zoom stuff, well, I don't know about all of it, but some of it is going to be going by the wayside. They're going to be having jury trials again at the courthouse. Only those uh, people who are involved, uh, whether you're on the prosecutor side, the defendant side, the judge, and or the jury, they're going to try to bring people back into the courtrooms, including the old Dade County Courthouse, uh, where supposedly space is really difficult. Why are they doing it? Because supposedly the number of inmates who are in uh, jails right now in Dade County it's back up to pre-COVID numbers of about 4,000 inmates. All that being said, um, what do I predict? I predict we're going to have another rash of COVID cases uh, <laughs> come the end of March, beginning of April. Why? Because we're opening up the courtrooms. So that would be my prediction. Guys, let's go ahead. We'll take a commercial break. On the other side break, we're going to get into the comments. This is Peter Zalewski of the Condo Vultures podcast. Before I started doing these podcasts, I basically was in the business of being a licensed real estate broker, a contributing um, columnist for the Miami Herald as well as the Miami Real Deal, but also expert witness work in consulting. So if you are looking for an expert witness or if you're looking for consulting services, a straight talk perspective as to what's going on in a particular marketplace, a building, or th- what happened previously for whatever your situation is, whether you are a, an attorney, whether you are an institutional fund looking to invest, or whether you're a lender who's trying to come up with some sort of strategy and approach uh, for your lending committee going forward, I just might be able to help you to get a hold of me. Please uh, reach out to Peter at CondoVultures.com. That's Peter at CondoVultures.com. Or give me a call to the office at 305-865-5859, 305-865-5859. Welcome back to the Reporters Roundtable. I'm your host, Peter Zaluski. i got Francisco Alvarado. i got John Grus. And I have John Feckler. This is the comment section. This is when you the listener. You can go ahead and you can uh, send us an email. Send us an email. Let us know what you're thinking. Ask a question. Make a statement. uh, Compliment us. Complain about us. Talk about somebody you like. We want to hear from you. All the comments we, we receive, we go ahead and we discuss during our reporters' roundtable, which runs every Wednesday. Mr. Fe oh, by the way, before I start that, um, if you do want to send an email, send it to inquiry at convultures.com. I-n q u I R Y at
1: Mr. Feckler, what do we got? We've got a comment from Ilya, who is the self-described, <laughs> self-described primo commenter and real estate peddler. That's his words, not mine. Um What's going on, Ilya? You know,
0: Thank you for continuing to listen and submit comments. Yes, indeed.
1: And Ilya, as you know, is from the treasure coast. Um, he had some interesting questions, and this really goes back to the comment you made earlier, Peter, uh, regarding the the shenanigans that landlords might try to pull uh, as we go forward here. So he was saying that Jean had mentioned that he is not sure who is buying condos and homes if people are not paying rent. So he says there is no problem. He's saying that the landlord should evaluate the renter based on your typical criteria, background, credit, previous evictions, et cetera, and then collect three months of rent up front. <laughs> this way they can't get screwed. I think that's a great idea. This way, you know, it, it, chances are they'll get a beat will be reduced dramatically. At least that's what he thinks.
0: Um, interesting, interesting. So, yeah, yeah. let's play out the scenario for Ilya. So, okay, it's yeah. February. If somebody goes ahead and moves in March 1st, they pay three months up front, they got March, April, May covered. Problem is the moratorium is set to uh, well if uh, President Biden gets his package through the 1.9 billion um, uh, trillion dollar package that would take the moratorium through October first so you would still be upside down um, Ilya so no I, I I like what you're thinking I think being a landlord is very difficult I think now you want to be a renter you absolutely positively want to be a renter if you own properties. You need to start uh, uh, negotiating with your renter to keep them sweet to make sure that money keeps coming. Cause it's very, it could be very easy for them to just say, you know what, screw it. I'm not going to pay another dollar. And even though you could think you're going to ding my credit, I get to live here for free effectively up until October 1st if uh, President Biden's uh, program is put through, if not longer, if not longer. Yeah. So or anybody want to comment on that, Francisco or, feeling, or John? yeah.
1: No. Nope. Nope. Okay. Go ahead, Jess. Okay. Ilya actually has a second idea. So he must have given us okay. a lot of thought. <laughs> other idea, <laughs> uh, the other idea is that uh, perhaps they don't get into one-year contracts just month to month. So you're not paying. Okay. Then since there is no contract, the eviction notice can be enforced. Just a thought. Um, All right. So
0: let so, let let me stop there. Uh, Ilya, in most buildings in South Florida, uh, because the condo associations are worried about creating a quality of life and not turning it into an investment, most of them require or permit only twice a year rentals, uh, typically six month minimum. Some are only once a year in terms of getting a rental. So going month to month uh, is going to be extremely difficult unless you go to bypass sort of uh, uh, the rules there. So, so, again, you get jammed up as a landlord. Uh, ironically, you put in place or the association put in place these things to stabilize pricing, but in reality it might actually be working against some of these landlords.
1: Yeah. Also, Oli um, also uh, wanted to uh, let us know that he agreed 100% with Kathleen Caligeris, who was our roving reporter last week on uh, changes to the groceries delivery model and further changes. Um, he thinks there's, there's a, there should be a move away from the high end Amazon, which is, you know, like the whole foods and the Amazons, but, Uh, This is a premium segment. He's wondering what about the mid range? Um, Since there'll be more places available, uh, perhaps there is an opportunity for delivery only grocery store chains. So I
0: don't know if you you want to touch on that from last week.
1: Oh, boy, that's
0: outside of my my purview. Francisco, John, you guys have any comments? You know how you got pop up um, restaurants basically serving, uh, being created to serve Uber Eats and Grubhub and stuff like that? You guys have any? Uh, have you heard anything about maybe grocery stores doing the same, or suppliers?
3: No, no. Well,
2: there's ghost kitchen. There's ghost kitchens. Um, okay. You know that that have popped up and and serve as, um, you know, the 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 sort of the hub of food preparation for delivery uh, services, um, and those those are you know getting to be quite popular um I yeah. mean that's you know that's what's happening on that front I wonder
1: gotta, what happens gotta, gotta, gotta. to these places what, what happens to these places once the pandemic is over you know I mean you have this whole new delivery model which I use you know religiously what's going to happen when, the, when it when it all stops everything everybody's back to the restaurants right yeah.
2: uh, it's not going to be over it. John no <laughs> yeah. no
1: that's the problem so let me finish up uh, Ilya's comments here. Uh, of course, I got to. Well, a well bit John, one note,
0: here. one quick oh. comment. One quick comment yeah. for Ilya. It, Ilya, many many um, farms uh, in the South Florida sunset. I will did a story recently about this. Many farms. What they're doing is they're creating care packages. So you show up on a certain day, and uh, for a flat fee, let's call it thirty bucks, they basically give you everything that's been harvested. So think of like a big box you'd get from Costco. You don't know what's going to be in there. If you call, they'll tell you, okay, this is what we're harvesting. They throw it all in there. You pay a flat fee. It's paid up front. You drive in, and they have workers. You pull in, you pop your, your trunk, and they throw all the veggies and fruits and everything uh, in there. So that might be a little bit of a – not a compromise, but at least a little bit of a hybrid. That, that's what some of the firms are doing because the, these firms were supplying restaurants who are now defunct or not ordering what they used to. So they have way too much – they have excess um, uh, uh, crops. That's interesting. Um, That's an interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but South Florida Sun Sentinel, they itemize all of the different farms that are participating at this point with it. So go ahead, John.
1: I'm going to give myself a ramp plug that Ilya gave me. So um, he says, John is the best. Go Jets. I'm not sure if that was
0: <laughs> taking a shot at <laughs> me there. I don't know. Um, Francisco, do you have any comments of the Jets? Who could have had the number one pick, winning two games late in the season, and now falling down to number two?
3: Yeah, I, yeah, I got something to say about the Jets. Jets, J E T S, suck, suck, suck.
0: two <laughs> Miami Dolphins.
1: Fantastic. So,
0: guys, let's go ahead. We'll wrap up this podcast. That is Francisco Alvarado. He's been an investigative journalist for north of 15 years. You'll see his work in a variety of publications, including The Real Deal as well as The Daily Beast. That was John Groos. John runs a publication and marketing firm called Groos Communications. He did 25 years as a journalist, including a gig at the Tampa Tribune. And we got John Feckler. John used to write about white color crime as well as public-traded companies in South Florida with the South Florida Business Journal. Right now he does public relations and consulting. I'm Peter Zaluski. If you're not yet a subscriber to our podcast, please go ahead and do so wherever you listen to your podcast. And if you like what we're doing, leave us a rating and a comment. Uh, That'll help us to sort of spread our message, which is ultimately to try to bring uh, Straight Talk to an overhyped condo market. And then finally, if you have a comment for us, Uh, Send us a comment to inquiry at condovultures.com, I-N-Q-U-I-R-Y at condovultures.com. We read all the comments every Wednesday during the reporters' roundtable. So hope you all stay safe, you stay healthy, and until next time, ciao, ciao. This is Peter Zalewski of the Condo Vultures Podcast. Our listenership spreads from Tel Aviv down to Sydney, from Toronto down to Buenos Aires. Many of our listeners, based on the analytics they tend to be uh, investors and or developers, lenders, or possibly even regulators. So if that is a crowd that you would like to market your services and goods to, please reach out to us to talk about advertising opportunities in one of our upcoming podcasts or even some of our previous podcasts, because our listenership there is still strong and growing. To reach out to us, please send an email to inquiry at condovultures.com. That's I-N-Q-U-I-R-Y at condovultures.com, or call us at 305 865 Five eight five nine three zero five eight six five five eight five nine.